Looks like Chick-fil-A will not be opening any new restaurants in Uganda anytime soon. The longtime favorite company of conservatives has apparently embraced the DEI agenda. According to a heretofore unnoticed diversity, equity, and inclusion segment of Chick-fil-A's website, quote, one of our core values at Chick-fil-A Incorporated is that we are better together when we combine our unique backgrounds, blah, 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 with a culture of belonging, we can discover new ways to blah, 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 blah. The exact verbiage does not exactly matter. It's all pretty much just gobbledygook anyway. The disconcerting thing is not the exact wording. The disconcerting thing is that Chick-fil-A has embraced DEI at all. And now, while some conservatives are calling for a boycott of the openly religious, generally relatively conservative company, as far as I'm concerned, this story has almost nothing to do with Chick-fil-A. The Chick-fil-A DEI department doesn't tell you a ton about the chicken shop. It tells you about the depth and pervasiveness of liberal ideology throughout our entire culture. It isn't just Disney. It isn't just Target. It isn't just Transheiser Bush. Even Chick-fil-A is subject to increasingly radical liberalism. And we will not merely buy another sandwich to fix it. The only way to fix it is by resetting, reorienting our entire political order. Even Chick-fil-A. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. We will get to the really important announcement out of New York. New York Mayor Eric Adams protecting obesity as a protected class. We now no longer merely defend transgenderism. We will also defend trans-slenderism. We will get to that in just a moment. First, though, we turn to Disney. Away from Chick-fil-A, which shows you that DEI, wokeness, it's all just really the conclusion of liberalism. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's even in your religious chicken sandwich. And it's especially at Disney. There is a fairly disturbing video came out of Disneyland, out of the Enchanted Chamber Princess Boutique. And it is of a pretty little princess with a mustache. It's a dude dressed up as a princess. And he's not one of the enthusiasts. He is one of the workers there employed by Disney. Take a, take a look or a listen if you're you're driving in your car. So my name's Nick. I'm one of Fairy Godmother's apprentices. I'm here to shop you around and make all your selections for the day. Talking to a little girl. He's got lots of eyeshadow on and just a big bushy mustache trying to sell extremely overpriced dresses for little girls to those poor, poor parents who are going to have to shell out a ton of money. Okay. What's wrong with this scene? The mustache is a problem. Yeah, the fact that it's a, an obvious dude wearing a dress, that's a problem. The bigger problem, though, is who this is for. It's not even just that Disney World is for kids, and so this weird sexual stuff has no place in front of kids. It's even more than the question of kids or minors or what's appropriate for certain ages. It's a question of who are these people serving? 
What is the point of Disney World? What is the point of any of these companies? Is it about the customer or is it about the fantasies of the employee? We used to have a saying in America, which is that the customer is always right. Now, the customer doesn't seem to matter at all. Customer doesn't matter at all with Bud Light and Transizer Bush. Customer doesn't matter at all with Target. Customer doesn't even matter at Disney World and Disneyland. Who is this for? When I was a young man, I was young, coming up in show business, and I'd sometimes take these service industry jobs, one of which I was hired to be a fake sommelier at a wedding. The wedding was actually for George Soros. It's a story for another time. But I remember we were all there. It was the caterers and the sommelier and all these people. And the guy who was running the event, he said, hey, what is this about? What are we all here for? And in my mind, I thought, I don't know, we're here to make a quick buck and then go back to our regular lives. But no, he said, no, what this is all about, what this is for is service. Your job here is to serve the customer, especially if you're in the service industry. But increasingly in our economy and in our whole culture, it's not about the customer. It's not about the people we're supposed to serve. It's somehow the other way around. Little kids don't go to Disneyland so that they can affirm some deviant man's delusions. Parents don't spend an arm and a leg to take their kids to Disneyland so that their kids can be exposed to a mustachioed, strange fellow living out his fantasy of being a pretty princess. Okay, if you want to take the job as a pretty princess, you definitely have to shave the mustache. And you got to be a chick because it's not about you and princesses are chicks. And you're not. So you've got to put your fantasies aside, especially when we're talking about a place like Disneyland, which is supposed to indulge the fantasies of little children who, for whom it is appropriate to, to have little fantasies and play act them out sometimes. For adults, it's not appropriate to do that. One of the, the big cases to enshrine transgenderism in our law was a, the Harris Funeral Home case. And the Harris Funeral Home case before the Supreme Court raised a question of, do employees have an obligation to follow the rules sometimes for the benefit of their customers? There's this funeral home, Harris Funeral Homes, and one of the employees at the funeral home was a dude who thought he was a chick. And so one day he decided he was going to wear little skirts and put on lipstick and go in and do his job. And the owner of the funeral home said, hey man, I, I don't know what's going on with you. <laughs> Obviously you got some issues, but we've got to be respectful to our customers. When people come to the funeral home, they're grieving. They're in a very vulnerable state. They don't need distractions. They don't need to deal with some weird political ideology. They're trying to grieve their dead loved ones. And so it's not about you. It's about them. And this strange fellow decided, no, it's actually all about me. And he sued him and he ended up winning the case. Now that's enshrined in law. We're not going to have a good society if we invert that order. Are we, are we around here to serve others in accordance with reason and the truth? Or do we just view everybody in the world, including poor little kids, including their parents who spent a lot of money to take them to Disneyland? Do we just view them merely as instruments to serve us and our deviant desires? To two totally different societies. By the way, when you want to satiate your appetites and desires, the best way to do it is obviously with Good Ranchers. Right now, head on over to GoodRanchers.com. Use promo code Knowles. This Father's Day, let your dad unleash his inner grill master. Whether he prefers a sizzling steak or savory grilled chicken, look no further than the gift of meat from our friends at Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers offers ribeyes, New York strips, T-bones, all natural burgers, 
and the most delicious chicken you could ever want. Plus, right now, you will get $33 off with our code Knowles at GoodRanchers.com. Good Ranchers also offers a price lock guarantee for the next two years, which is completely insane. Imagine if you could have locked in your price two years ago, you would have saved hundreds of dollars. Not sure how to grill the perfect steak? Well, they've got tons of recipes on their website. Like uh, one of our great favorites, how to cook a steak better than Gordon Ramsay. Whether your dad is a steak lover, a barbecue enthusiast, or just enjoys a good old-fashioned burger, Good Ranchers has the best burgers in the business. By the way, unbelievable steaks too, but the burgers are making me salivate thinking about them. You got to order today. Make this Father's Day a success. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Knowles, W-L-E-S, for $30 off any box. Promo code Knowles at GoodRanchers.com. Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. You see this kind of madness, especially in higher education. There was a law school commencement ceremony at CUNY uh, that featured a speaker. Sometimes these commencements have student speakers, and the student speakers are usually kind of goody two-shoes types, but increasingly they can be left-wing activists who are speaking out on behalf of the student body. And one such speech came from Fatima Mohammed student speaker for CUNY Law School. And Fatima Mohammed made all sorts of claims. She's a pro-Palestine activist. She really doesn't like Israel. Not a huge fan of a certain ancient nomadic tribe of people. And so she makes her comments about that. But she's broadly against the West. She's against white people and patriarchy. And that is how her speech is being reported. Pro-Palestine student goes off on the Jews. Or left-wing student goes off on white supremacy and the patriarchy. But there's something even more insidious about this girl's law school speech. See if you can pick it up. I'm here to celebrate who and what we are, who you are. Like many of you, I chose CUNY School of Law for its articulated mission to be law in the service of human needs. One of very few legal institutions created to recognize that the law is a manifestation of white supremacy that continues to oppress and suppress people in this nation and around the world. We joined this institution to be equipped with the necessary legal skills to protect our communities, to protect the organizers fighting endlessly day in and out with no accolades, no cameras, no votes, no PhD grants, working to lift the facade of legal neutrality and confront the systems of oppression that wreak violence on them. The craziest thing about this speech is not that the pro-Palestine girl hates the Jews. The craziest thing about this speech is not that the leftist girl hates the white people and the men and the patriarchy and all the rest. It's that sentence right at the top where she says, CUNY recognizes that the law is just a facade to uphold white supremacy. The craziest thing she says in her speech is about the law. Because this girl graduated from law school. She was selected to be the speaker at her law school graduation. She doesn't know what the law is. She doesn't believe in the law. The law, at its most basic level, is an ordinance of reason for the common good by the one who has care of the community and promulgated. That's the, the description of the law, the definition that St. Thomas Aquinas gives. It's a really basic, very good one. A related concept is justice. Justice is a, a habit, a virtue that inclines the will to render to each and to all what he deserves. Again, really basic definition of justice. What this girl says at her law school graduation is, oh, the law, justice, that's all BS. The law, it's fake. The law is totally fake. 
thank you for giving me my law degree. The law is totally fake. It is not an ordinance of reason. It is not for the common good. It's nothing more than a bunch of gobbledygook that we use to enshrine the tyranny of will, of, of the willfulness of one group, which is the white people or the Jews or whoever she's going off on, people that I hate. And so what we do when we go to law school is we just get a credential that allows us to wield this deceptive instrument for our own tyranny of will to, to give ourselves more power and to dominate the groups, the white people and the Jews and the men and whoever that we hate. That's what she's saying. That's the not so subtle subtext of all of it. She's saying the law is not objective. The law is not just. The law is not real. The law does not derive from anything outside of our own desires. That's the state of higher education. That's the state of the law. That's the state of justice in America. If our next generation of lawyers, of the people who are supposed to be running the show in the political order, does not believe in law, then we're going to have lawlessness. And I'll tell you what, if this lady doesn't like what America looks like with law and order, just wait until she sees America without law and order. Because yes, the, the, the positive law, the civil law is sometimes an imperfect reflection of the natural law and the background principles of justice that, that exist even outside of our own personal experience and desire. Yeah, that's true. Yes, it's true that the system of justice is imperfect and sometimes innocent people go to jail and sometimes guilty people get off the hook. And yeah, that's all true. But if you, if you think a law-abiding America is bad, just wait until you see a lawless America. This is how I feel about attacks on Christian nationalism, Christian religious right. People say, oh, I hate the religious right. Oh man, you think the religious right is bad? Just wait until you see the irreligious right. <laughs> or, the, or the irreligious left, though I suppose that's a redundant phrase. Oh, you think Christian nationalism is bad? Just wait until you see unchristian nationalism. Because that, that's going to be a lot worse. A society where even the people who graduate with the law degrees don't think there's anything objective here. So then, what, where does that leave us? Well, that leaves us, of course, with a lot of Latino white supremacists. According to The New Yorker, we are now seeing the rise of Latino white supremacy. At a time of rising racial violence, Latinos are potential perpetrators and potential victims. This author goes on about all the terrible white supremacists that allegedly are running rampant in America and then focuses in on some Latino people who are committing all sorts of crimes and they try to pin it on white supremacy. They'll say for one of these guys, Garcia, Garcia continued to see himself as Latino, which he never equated with whiteness. And at moments he manifested pride in his non-white Latino identity, but nevertheless, he's a white supremacist. Of course, because as I've mentioned before on the show, white just means bad. White is just a synonym for bad. So badness has to in some way be the fault of white people and whiteness. And when badness is being committed by black people, it's somehow got to be the fault of white people. Because, I don't know, because the white people failed to pay enough taxes to put the black kid in a good school. And so that's why he went out and committed crimes. It's not because the white people undermined the black culture in such a way that the black kid grew up in a broken home. 
when a Latino goes out and commits a crime, it has to be the the fault of a white person because the Latino, in his mind, he viewed himself as a white person. And even, I guess, in this case of this guy, Garcia, he didn't actually view himself as a white person. He was pretty explicit about how he didn't think of himself as a white person. But nevertheless, the white people, the whiteness has so infected his mind that he's got, it was, trust me, guys, it was white supremacy. It just has to be because that's the starting point. That's the premise. So it just has to be. That has to be the place where you end up. So why? Why do these people hate white people so much? Why does Fatima Muhammad giving the speech at CUNY hate white people so much? Why does the New Yorker hate white people so much? Why do so many of the prominent, powerful institutions in the media, in education, in politics, in everywhere, why do they hate white people? Because white people are a symbol of authority and tradition. Until very recently, America was an overwhelmingly white country and always had been. Uh, Until very recently, the West broadly was overwhelmingly white. And so white people, we live in an incarnate world in time and space where flesh really matters. White people just become the symbol of authority and the symbol of tradition. And leftism opposes those things. Whatever you want to say about the French Revolution, you can't say that it was an anti-white revolution, right? Whatever you want to say about the early liberal movements, the early uh, the, the early revolutions that un, unseated so much of our settled order, they weren't about overthrowing white people. They were about overthrowing authority. They were about overthrowing tradition. And so why do white people get such a bad rap these days? Why do white people get blamed for things that they have nothing to do with? Because... The the liberal revolution seeks to overthrow authority and tradition. And that's the same revolution that we've seen going back all the way to the Garden of Eden, which is ye shall be as gods. Don't do what you're told to do. Don't follow the rules. Don't follow the law. The law is nothing but what you want the law to be. Oh, the law, forget about the law having any objective, reasonable, intelligible aspect. No, it's just whatever you want to be. Humpty Dumpty on the wall talking to Alice in Wonderland. He says, words, they don't mean anything. Words mean whatever I say they are to mean. Because the question is, which is to be master? That's what it's all about. And you're now seeing it manifest in this way that is anti-patriarchy, anti-white, blah, blah, blah. Where does this come from? I know that there are a lot of people who want to try to cut the fringiest parts of the left away from the rest of it. So sometimes you'll hear people say, we want to cut the T off of LGBT. LGB is fine, but the T, that's the bad one, because that that one's crazy. Failing to recognize that the T is a logical consequence of the LGB. The LGB says that men and women are basically the same and interchangeable. That's how you can have marriage, which existed as an institution, the basic fundamental political institution for all of human history. That's how you can have that radically redefined, such that a man and a woman in this special union can now also be a man and a man and a woman and a woman. Well, the only way that's possible is if men and women are interchangeable. But if men and women are interchangeable, then it's not a very far leap to get to transgenderism, which says a man and a woman are interchangeable, which says that a man can become a woman. There are a lot of people who want to chop the wokeness off of liberalism or even off of leftism. They use all these different ism words. They say, no, I'm a true liberal. I'm a classical liberal. I'm not a progressive liberal. Uh, those, these modern woke guys, they're illiberal liberals, but I'm a liberal liberal, 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 liberal. No, it's just 
This is the natural consequence of liberalism, which reorients society away from God, away from good, away from truth, away from beauty, toward the self. And liberalism says, well, I am myself. I can do basically whatever I want. I don't need to follow a, a particular moral order. I'm not born primarily with obligation. I'm born primarily with rights and entitlement. And so I'm going to pursue whatever I want. Liberalism, which says, well, we can never really know the truth all that, all that well. And so we've got to remain skeptical, skeptical of basically everything. And you can't impose your views on me, man. Liberalism, which says the settled order is bad, prejudice is bad, tradition is bad, and we're going to overthrow that. That's always been what liberalism is. I know there, there are some people on the right who get confounded when they have to give a, a, a definition of wokeness or leftism or radicalism or whatever. It's just the logical conclusion of all of this stuff. So if, if we're going to move past it, you can't just try to excise the most radical, crazy part. Okay, well, we're going to just get rid of transing the five-year-olds. But transing the 19-year-olds, that's okay. And transgenderism broadly is okay. And LGBTism is okay. And pride is okay. And feminism is okay. And this isn't and that is Nah, guys. You've, to quote Phyllis Schlafly, you've got to offer people a choice rather than merely an echo. Otherwise, if you just try to rewind the clock 18 months, you just try to rewind the clock 18 years, doesn't matter. You say, we're going to reset society in 2003. That was the peak of society. If you've got all the same ideas there propelling people along, then those ideas are going to have consequences and you're going to end up in the same crazy spot. So we've got to talk to each other about this. When you want to talk to each other, you got to check out Pure Talk. Right now, go to puretalk.com slash Knowles. We're all trying to improve the country here, aren't we? And therefore, we've got to be a little bit discerning about the partners that we choose to work with. And one company I'm very, very proud to stand behind, and a company that's very proud to stand behind us and our country, is Pure Talk. Veteran-owned with a 100% American workforce, they share our beliefs, our desires for this country. That is why Pure Talk is the official cell phone wireless partner of The Daily Wire. But that's not the only reason. Pure Talk also happens to be the most dependable 5G network in the United States. They've got a top tier service at a fraction of the cost of those other woke companies. You know the ones I'm talking about, ATT, Verizon, T-Mobile, those companies that don't care about you or your values. In fact, you can get unlimited talk, text, and unlimited data with a mobile hotspot for just $55 a month. You vote with how you spend your money. So stop supporting woke wireless companies that don't support you. Instead, go to puretalk.com slash Knowles. You will get great coverage and save while you're doing it. Go to puretalk.com slash Knowles. Save an additional 50, 50% off your first month because they actually care about you. Go to puretalk.com slash Knowles. Pure Talk, wireless for Americans by Americans. You know, I hate to pat myself on the back. Don't want to toot my own horn, but I'll tell you, Michael and is quickly becoming one of our most popular shows. Michael and, it's just where I and somebody else sit down and have a long conversation. It's unscripted. I basically prepare nothing. I want to just find interesting people you probably haven't heard of and figure out what makes them tick, figure out what's going on in their lives, how they've ended up where they are. Uh, you've heard some experiences from a psychonaut, a guy who went down a lot of weird psychedelic rabbit trails, I spoke with an exorcist, Father Dan Rehill. That, that interview, two-hour-long interview, it has over three million views at this point. You will hear firsthand stories that will blow your mind. In the latest episode, I sat down with Joshua Broom, who went from making 
well over a million dollars in the porn industry. He even won Male Porn Star of the Year to being minutes away from taking his own life. What he told me about the horrors of the porn industry and his radical transformation will shock and I think delight you. Check out this teaser. You know, I did a thousand films over about a six year period. You had to have a current um, like full panel, like STD and AIDS test. You would look, is the test clear, great? And that's what I would know about the girl until I walked into the room and had sex with her. This episode and the rest of the series are available now on the Michael Knowles Show YouTube channel, so go check them out after the show. Speaking of going after those darn white people, Jane Fonda says we need to imprison white men. Uh, Jane Fonda of Hanoi Jane fame, she's the lady who allowed the the Vietnamese communists to sit her down on an anti-aircraft gun and make like she was shooting down American uh, flyers and attacking American troops. She later apologized for that, but then she remained a huge anti-American lib, so the content of that apology is somewhat dubious. Jane Fonda just said, quote, it's good for us all to realize there would be no climate crisis if there was no racism. There would be no climate crisis if there was no patriarchy. (laughs) A mindset that sees everything in a hierarchical way. White men are the things that matter, and then everything else is at the bottom. That's the problem this mindset that sees things in a hierarchical way. By the way, white men are the absolute worst. I love she's attacking this hierarchical white male way of thinking. And how does she do it? She arranges it in a hierarchy of evil people. And at the very top of the hierarchy of evilness, at the very bottom of the hierarchy of goodness, she puts the white men. Okay. She says that poor people of color as well as people in the Southern hemisphere will be hit hardest by global warming. She says it's a tragedy we have to absolutely stop. We have to arrest and jail those men. They're all men. Okay, all those white men, we've got to throw them in jail because they're pushing global warming. Maybe worth pointing out to Hanoi Jane that as far as nations go, the biggest contributor to global warming, such as it is, is China. Uh, China, which famously does not have a lot of white men running it. But regardless, yeah, sure, America, we're we're a big industrial country. We're the leader of the free world. And so there there are still a good number of white men in America. And okay, that's the problem. The climate crisis would not exist if not for patriarchy. The climate crisis would not exist for racism. The climate crisis is the fault of white men. Of course it is. It has to be. And climate change, catastrophic climate change. We're just nine years away from the end of the world, as they've been telling us for 50 years. Uh, That also requires white men to be the fault of it because white people just equals bad. Climate change equals secular apocalypse. And so, yes, evil will bring about the end of the world. And in the Christian understanding of the apocalypse, things get really, really, really bad as sin and death and evil pervade all the world. And the prince of this world uh, leads to all sorts of terrible things. You know, the devil, the father of lies. But then there's a happy ending. There is a happy ending here because Christ wins the, the war and comes down and you have the final judgment. In the secular version of this, now we just all turn to worm food. Evil In the secular version, in the leftist version, evil just wins. And this shapes the way that we view the world. This is education. Hanoi Jane's comments here, Fatima Muhammad's comments at 
CUNY Law School, the dude in the dress at Disneyland, all of this stuff, the Latino white supremacy, this constitutes education a lot more than the reading, writing, and arithmetic that you'll learn in fifth grade. Education is about how we're brought up. It's about how we view the world. I was thinking about this the other day because I have friends and relatives who are a bit neurotic and they, they worry a lot about death, but they never think about death. They, never, they don't really take death seriously, but they worry about dying. And I was thinking about myself and it's easy for me to say I'm a relatively healthy guy and I'm sunshine in my life, but I think about death all the time, but I almost never worry about death. How is that? Well, I think about death all the time because I'm Christian. And so I think about, okay, have I committed a sin? Am I in a state of grace? Do I need to go to confession? What, am I going to have a good death? I mean, this was something that Christians, for the vast majority of our civilization's history, they would think about this sort of thing. Am I prepared to meet my maker? Because death comes like a thief in the night. You never know if you're going to go, okay. So you think about death a lot, but then if you prepare for death, you're not worried about death. I think, okay, I don't think I turned to worm food. I hope I don't go to hell. I think I'm preparing myself for, for the end of the story. Okay, good. Whereas if you ignore death, if you try to put it out of your mind, you're still going to have that nagging sense of your mortality that's part of the human condition. And so paradoxically, you're going to be much, much more worried about it. The more you try to put it out of the mind, the, the more you're going to be worried about it. Then it, that, all of that got me thinking, this is our real education. This is the real kind of education that guides our society. It's not just the reading, writing, and arithmetic. It's not just the facts about which wars were won by which generals. The, the real basis of our education is who do we think we are? Where do we think we're going? What do we think we're made for? What do we think good is? What do we think we're all doing here together? That's the really subtle stuff of our education that's going to make or break a civilization. Where are we? What are we for? And for Jane Fonda, her understanding of evil and good and progress and politics and all of that, it is informed by things that are false and ugly and, and wicked. And that's going to drive a civilization crazy. The, the education crisis in America is so much deeper. The education crisis goes to the, goes to the heart of religion being pushed out of the public square, goes to the heart of are a whole cast of people being called evil. And the whole cast of people that disproportionately have guided our nation's history being called evil. So we view our nation as evil. So we just have fallen into a national malaise. You can't separate these sorts of issues. And what are we doing to stop it? We're passing legal protections for fat people. That's what we're doing. Eric Adams in New York, liberal mayor of New York, even though he's relatively better than the last Bolshevik that we had in the mayor's office in New York, Bill de Blasio. Eric Adams doubling down on identity politics to sign a weight discrimination bill into law. I don't think it is. Uh, you know, everyone knows that uh, I'm a person that believes in uh, health. Uh, so when you talk about not discriminating against someone because of their body type, it's not fighting against obesity. It's just being fair. And so I think this is, a, this is the right thing to do. We should, we, we're going to continue to talk about uh, our progressive health agenda. And science has shown that body type is not a connection to if you're healthy or unhealthy. And I think that's a misnomer that we are, we are really dispelling. I love the weak applause there, that one guy, the one staffer in the back of the room. Again, we've realized that uh, the science has shown us that if you're a big, gigantic fatso, that has nothing to do with your health. That's totally divorced from you. You can be just the biggest, fattest 
most out of shape guy in the whole world, and you could be healthier than an Olympic runner. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, good. Is that good? Is that? We all know that isn't true. We all, yes, it's true that there can be skinny people who have health problems. Yes, it can be true that there can be huskier people who are relatively in good health. But if you're like a big fatso, that's a problem. And it's a problem that you should work on. I'm not saying you're a bad person, not saying that you should be ostracized from society, not saying that all hope is lost. Quite the opposite. I'm saying you ought to be encouraged to live in a way that is healthier because you're more likely to flourish. You're more likely to live longer. You're more likely to live in a, in a more pleasant way for a longer period of time. And you're, you're more likely to feel good about yourself. And you're more likely to excel in other areas as well because we're integrated human beings. We all know that what that guy said isn't true. Almost certainly including Eric Adams. Eric Adams doesn't believe that if you're 400 pounds, you're the pinnacle of health, okay? But we just lie because we're so used to lying now because we lie and we tell men who pretend to be women. We tell the mustachio guy in the pretty princess outfit. We say, oh yeah, no, you really are a woman. Yeah. Oh, just because you have a mustache and certain other appendages, that doesn't mean you're a man. It does. We all know that it does. Oh no, man, what are you talking about? Just because criminals are marauding all over the streets and stealing our stuff and killing people, that doesn't mean we're unsafe. Just because we have an open border and we've got millions of people pouring across it every year, that doesn't mean we're failing as a nation. That doesn't mean that we have an unstable political order. No, what are you talking about? Just just because we've got record high inflation and people can't afford their basic necessities, that doesn't mean the economy's in bad shape. No, it does, man, it does. Just admit reality. What you're seeing here is a tension that Patrick Deneen actually talks about in his excellent new book, which I'll, I'll be working on a review for soon. Uh, but he, he makes the point that our society is really torn between two conflicting impulses that every parent faces. And the conflicting impulses are for acceptance and improvement. If your kid comes to you, your kid's going through some sort of problem, let's say, I don't know, your kid gets a, a stupid-looking tattoo, let's say. I don't know. Your kid gets a bunch of stupid-looking tattoos and is not treating their body well. On the one hand, you want to encourage your kid to stop making poor decisions to improve your kid's life. But on the other hand, you don't want your kid to feel like you've rejected him and you don't want him anymore and he can't turn to you, so you also want to accept your kid. And this is true with so many issues. It's true. Every parent's going to have to deal with this at some point, raising kids. And it's true for our society as well. You don't want to seem like, you especially see this for for young people who are less and less young with each passing year, and they haven't gotten married, and they haven't settled down, and they haven't had kids, and they haven't done the basic things that are conducive to a flourishing society. You you don't want to just reject those people and say, oh yeah, now you're washed up. Sorry, especially for women. Oh yeah, women, you're you're single. You're you're single, and you're a little bit older. Yeah, we, you're a, a joke. We don't want you anymore. No, not at all. You're not saying you don't want them in society. You're not saying you can't live a flourishing life. You're not saying that the difficulties that they're living with are their fault entirely. But you also want to encourage younger people to try to break out of the the liberal trance and to maybe say, no, I don't need to go get 50,000 different academic degrees to the cost of half a million dollars. And I don't need to totally neglect my personal life. And I don't need to put off having children. I don't need to put off getting married. So you want to encourage the society while also accepting the society as it is in all of its diversity. And we've just fallen way too far on the latter category, such that we're pretending people with mustaches can be princesses 
and that 400 pound people can be just as healthy as fit people. Not so. Now, speaking of encouragement, our first lady, I'm sorry, not our first lady, our vice president, our vice president has just come out to encourage the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, and she has done so with soaring Periclean rhetoric. As I look out at you, I know that you will build on that leadership because, of course, your generation grew up online. Technology that might be intimidating or unfamiliar to other generations to you is exciting and intuitive. You see what can be unburdened by what has been. And you have the agility and the ability to bring that potential to life. Great examples of political rhetoric. Uh, We have nothing to fear but fear itself. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. You know what you can be unburdened by what has been, be and been and be and been. This is a line that Kamala Harris has used once or twice before. I can imagine what can be and be unburdened by what has been, you know? What can be unburdened by what has been? 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 What we can see, what we believe can be unburdened by what has been. What can be unburdened by what has been? What can be unburdened by what has been? What can be unburdened by what has been? Who we can be unburdened by who we have been. What can be unburdened by what has been. Where we can be, unburdened by where we have been, and unburdened by where we are right now. What can be, unburdened by what has been. One thing I love about Kamala Harris is she is her own sign language interpreter, so you don't need the little lady in the corner of the screen. She uses this line a lot. There is a compilation that the RNC put out that it goes on for three and a half minutes of what can be, what has been, and it sounds like a stupid meaningless line. It sounds like the sort of line that a 12-year-old would write in his first essay for class, where he doesn't realize that essays require facts and arguments and are not just a meaningless string of words together. But there actually is a lot of meaning in that phrase of Kamala Harris. She might not even know it, but there is a lot of meaning. It really sums up the liberal project, which we'll get to in a second. First of all, I want to help restore balance to your body and some balance to nature, which is why you got to check out Balance of Nature. Right now, go to balanceofnature.com, use promo code Knowles. Living a healthy lifestyle is not always easy, especially when you are on the go. You need simple, manageable routines to make sure you are getting the proper nutrition every single day. That's why I'm a huge fan of Balance of Nature. Balance of Nature fruits and veggies are a great way to ensure that you're getting essential nutritional ingredients every day. Their capsules are packed with 100% whole food that you can take at any time. Balance of Nature uses a cold vacuum process that preserves the natural phytonutrients in whole fruits and vegetables and encapsulates them for easy consumption. Balance of Nature sent a bunch of their products down to the studio for us to try, and these absolute jackals around here just gobbled them up. We we had to claw over each other to try to get them from these hyenas. So make sure that you get your own Balance of Nature right now. Go to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, for 35% off your first order as a preferred customer. That is Balance of Nature, 
Dot-com, promo code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, for 35% off your first preferred order. With Father's Day coming up, I've been thinking about how grateful I am that my dad never became a chick. For all of my father's many accomplishments, I think the greatest accomplishment might be that he remained a dude, and he is one of two people who helped to give me my life. Without him, I wouldn't be here. Well, that might be a strange thing to say. We live in strange times, and so we shouldn't take the simplest gifts for granted. Show your appreciation and gratitude for your dad making the bold choice to remain the gender he was assigned at birth with a gift from Jeremy's Razors. Right now, they have a 30% off sale on select bundles and razor starter kits. They're 100% woke-free. They're unashamed to celebrate masculinity. So this Father's Day, do not just give him any gift. Give him Jeremy's Razors, the gift that says, thank you, Dad, for being and staying a man. Thank you, Dad, for manzitioning. Go to jeremysrazors.com today. Take 30% off our razors and not 100% off your genitals. My favorite comment yesterday is from Old Schooled. Hey, Old Schooled is back. And one of the great commenters for years on this show who says, calling yourself non-binary categorizes everyone as binary or non-binary. This creates a binary system, which makes you binary again. <laughs> That's so true. That's a, actually a really good point, old school. Not only because it owns the libs, but because it reminds us that ultimately, all of our choices are binary. Because all of our choices are going to come down to the transcendentals. We're either going to do good or evil. We're either going to pursue truth or falsehood. We're either going to move toward beauty or toward ugliness. And those things ultimately are binary. There's all sorts of shades of gray in this complex world, man. But ultimately, those things are, in fact, binary. So true. Now, how do we think about it? Will we think about it in a way that allows us to see what we can be unburdened by what has been, like Kamala Harris encourages us to do? I hope not. I want to be burdened by what has been. I am pro-burden. I don't want to be overly burdened. I don't want to be borne down and crushed by burdens that are destructive to me. But we need some kind of burden. I mean, even Christ in the Gospels, our Lord tells us that you don't, you don't want to have the shackles of sin on you and be a slave to sin, but you, you should put his burden on you because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He says, take up your cross and bear it. We, we will have some kinds of burdens. And so what are we in political society going to be burdened with? What Kamala Harris views as a burden is tradition, is authority, is reality, what has been. And what she's arguing for is the same thing John F. Kennedy and his brother Robert Kennedy argued for, and a lot of other liberals have argued for since the 60s, which is that, quote, some people see things that are and say why I dream things that never were and say why not, which is a quote that the author George Bernard Shaw put into the mouth of the serpent tempt, tempting Eve in the Garden of Eden. This is the, the same temptation that the serpent gives us in the Genesis account, which is, ye shall be as gods. You surely shall not die. No, no, no. You'll have the knowledge of good and evil and you, you shall be as gods. Don't worry about what has been. That's all. Forget about that. Just let's, let's just move forward through our imagination. It's just that same old satanic line going back to the Garden of Eden. And Kamala Harris almost certainly doesn't know it because she's not the most conscious 
or reflective politician in the world. But in fact, that's probably why. A lot of libs, I've noticed, who are not really conscious about politics, they just say nonsense. They just repeat all sorts of platitudes. They'll say, look, everything's relative. You know, look, everything's relative. Hey, you do you. You do you. It is what it is. You do you. Everything's relative. These kinds of sayings that seem meaningless, that people just recite thoughtlessly, they all boil down to really dark ideas, actually. They all, they all, frankly, boil down to the Aleister Crowley Satanist first commandment, which is do what thou wilt shall be the entirety of the law. Right? It just says, just do whatever you want. Ignore the moral order. Don't pursue goodness. Just do whatever you want. It's fine. There's no meaning. It's all relative. There's no truth. There's no judgment. There's no nothing. And, and that's what Kamala Harris, as the, as the symbol of your kind of liberal wine ant in America— she is repeating that too. And she's repeating that from one of the highest podiums in the United States. Now, speaking of those podia in the US and ladies babbling from it, Corinne Jean-Pierre is bringing us back to some really important issues. Uh, namely, you know that third world war that broke out over the conflict in Ukraine that we haven't been talking about very much? Well, Zeke Miller, one of the great journalists in the White House press pool, Zeke Miller, uh, just asked KJP about these kinds of attacks. So look, I'm going to be very clear. We're gathering information. I'm not going to get into hypotheticals uh, from here. Uh, we do not support the use of uh, U.S.-made equipment being used uh, for attacks inside of Russia. We've been very clear about that, and uh, we'll continue to do that. And we have been clear, uh, not just publicly, but privately, clearly, with the Ukrainians, uh, but not going to get into hypotheticals. We're going to look into, uh, gather information to see exactly what happened so we can get some clarity. But as I said, we've been very clear. So Zeke is asking about these increasing Ukrainian attacks on Russia, potential drone attack on the Kremlin, potential attacks on Russian soil. And don't forget, we've funded the Ukraine war. We funded the Ukraine side. So these attacks are going to be carried out, most likely, with our weaponry, <laughs> with our material. So does that mean that now the United States, a nuclear superpower, is engaging in a hot war with a nuclear former superpower, Russia? Mm, that doesn't seem like a great idea. And so the White House is trying to run away from this. The White House is trying to say, no, we don't support that. We don't support Ukrainians using um, American military equipment against the Russians. Wait, what? Then why did we give them the military equipment? Well, no, we, we support them using the American military equipment against the Russians on Ukrainian soil, but not on Russian soil. Um, do you think that's how war works? Do you think you can give a... a nation, all sorts of equipment and say, okay, but here are the very special rules you've got to use. Especially a country in this corrupt part of the world in Eastern Europe, Ukraine, not exactly the most transparent, well-run country ever in a, a fight for its life against Russia. You, you really think that that's what's going to happen? It's almost as though war has unintended consequences. And it's almost as though the people leading us are absolutely feckless and sleepwalking us into World War III. The prime minister of Georgia, not the state, but the country. Prime Minister of Georgia was just asked for his take on the hostilities in Ukraine. And he, you can tell he's a little bit uncomfortable saying this. He says, hey, maybe NATO bears a little bit of the blame here. Why do you think Russia launched that invasion of Ukraine in 2022? I think everybody, everybody knows the reason. I, I'm not sure I do. What, what do you think it is? I think you know it well. And the, <laughs> the audience knows it. Uh, one of the main reasons were NATO, right? 
NATO enlargement, right? Uh, and many other reasons. You, you think that Ukraine, NATO enlargement provoked the, the war? Well, I, I don't want to speculate, okay? And I don't want to quote the uh, statements of the uh, Russian government. But one of the reasons was uh, Ukraine's uh, will and determination to become a member of NATO. Uh, and um, so therefore, we see the consequence. Okay, now what a lot of people in the West, especially in the liberal establishment, are going to say is this prime minister of Georgia, he's just repeating Russian propaganda. He's trying to blame Putin's invasion of Ukraine on NATO. Well, it's not just the prime minister of Georgia, who clearly doesn't, he doesn't want to irritate NATO too much here, but he's, he's giving his view on what's going on. And he's obviously an Eastern European who's got a particular view of this thing. But it's not just him who's saying this. I was warning about this at the outbreak of the, the hostilities. You know, I hate to say I told you so. But I said, hey, buffer states have played an important role in history. And as NATO has expanded eastward, this has provoked Russia. And it wasn't just me saying this. It was Yoram Hazoni, the Israeli philosopher, saying this. But it wasn't even just me and Yoram, who are kind of modern-day conservatives. It was Henry Kissinger. It was Sam Nunn. It was Daniel Patrick Moynihan. It was George Kennan, the author of The Long Telegram, one of the architects of American Cold War policy. This was going back all the way to the 90s. There were wise statesmen who said, hey, NATO should stop aggressively expanding eastward. That's going to needlessly provoke Russia. And unless NATO is going to gobble up the whole world in wars of conquest, and there, and there have been some aggressive actions by NATO. It's not, not been a purely defensive alliance, which I'm sure Russia is seeing as well. If NATO is going to keep expanding eastward, that is going to create a precarious situation. It's going to provoke a war. And then what happens? Russia, which already wanted to enlarge itself again to reclaim some of the territory of the Soviet Union, which Vladimir Putin says the collapse of the Soviet Union was the greatest cataclysmic event of the 20th century. So you know you've got that desire there. All of a sudden, things start to spin out of control. All of it was predictable. There were plenty of conservatives warning people of this. And you look at our feckless leadership. You are reminded, this is a point I made yesterday, if we want to have a, a stable political order, a good political order, we've got to replace the current elite. We've got to replace the people, personnel or policy. And these people don't know the difference between a man and a woman. These people claim that if you're 400 pounds, you're, you're the pinnacle of health. These people don't know that a baby is a baby. These people blame white men for Latino criminals. These people do not have a strong grip on reality. And these are the people on whom we depend to avert World War III. Not a great situation to be in. Now, today is Woke Wednesday. The producers of this show have assured me they've got a very important video they want me to watch, react to, just channel all of my cultural and ideological knowledge into analysis of this video. And I want to talk to you, the creme de la creme, the earnest circle of this show, you can do that at dailywire.com slash Knowles. Use code Knowles at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. 